Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what's happening? How's it going? What the fucking ears? I think someone sent me that one as if I'd never used it before. I think I've used every one. I stopped rotating so many of them. There was a time on this show and also on my other show way back when on the radio where it was just a never-ending list of possibilities and I kind of leveled off on five or six, but always nice to hear from you. How's it going? Everybody all right? you get through? Did you make it through? How's your COVID? Did, is it bad? I just hope you had a nice Christmas and your COVID infection wasn't too horrible. That's an honest-to-God Christmas greeting. That's an honest-to-God well-wishing. Because I assume that at least 50% of you got the COVID. One way or the other. And it's just, I hope you're okay. I hope you're weathering the COVID storm. Today on the show, Ida Rodriguez. I don't know if you've seen her, but if you did, you would know her. She's a, a comic who did her work on the road and then was showcased on Tiffany Haddish's Netflix comedy show, They Ready?, and she now has her own HBO stand-up special, Fighting Words. She also has a pretty crazy life story. It's interesting, her, stand- her stand-up special, there's some documentary element of her meeting her father for the first time, which is uh, heavy, man. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I feel okay. I-, I don't know. I haven't talked to you since I did Largo. You know, we did six songs. They all went, you know, playing with the fellas, with um, Brandon Schwartzel. And Ned Brower and Jimmy Vivino. And it's weird, the more you play with guys, not even like it's not in terms of repeating the playing, like we're not playing every week, but you start to learn, you know, I, I'm just getting more comfortable and it's very exciting because I think almost all the songs came off without a hitch. And they're not difficult songs. I leave a, a lot of room for slop. I think if you know your limitations and you just want to have a good time, and you're not putting too much pressure on yourself other than to get through the tune. Leave some room for the slop. You know what I'm saying? We did uh, Fleetwood Max drifting, and, and you know Jimmy showed me a riff in there that I couldn't figure out, and it was so fucking easy. And then uh, we did the Blasters tune. And the only one I fucking... It, we did Jealous Guy, John Lennon's Jealous Guy, which is an emotional song. There was two songs in, in this routine, in this set list, that yeah, really moved me. Long Black Veil, just that story kills me. Uh, but Jealous Guy, in, in rehearsal, I hit it. You know, I, it's a little strained, the vocals for me. There's a high note in there that's hard for me. And I, and I just, to my credit, as some of you know, 
Uh, I am cursed by fucking up a song, not being able to find the key of a Chuck Berry song when I was at music camp and just, you know, making what I thought to be a fool out of myself because I, I, I just ruined the whole song. So Jealous Guy, I just couldn't, I couldn't get, get, I couldn't get on top of it. And we played the whole song and I just said to the audience, I'm like, fuck, man, now I got to live with that. I got to live with knowing that I struggled the entire song to hit that note and I didn't hit it once. I don't need that. I don't need to drive home with that. So I said to the band, I said, guys, let's just do the last verse again. Let's just take it from the top of the last verse and let me try to hit this goddamn thing. And I told the audience, uh, I'm so happy you guys came to rehearsal. I'll let you know when we do the real show. And I did it and I hit it and I and I was able to leave without feeling you know, without keeping it to myself. It was clear I fucked up. You can't just, you know, do that. But, you know, just between us, Jimmy and the fellas are like, we should we should play out. And I'm like, come on, man. Does the world need that? I'm not going to be able to sell tickets as a music act. Just me and my, it's, it's called the three chords, Mark Marin and their 30 covers. <laughs> We're at 18 now. So if we do one more, we'll be at 24. Yeah, she just. But they're all pretty unique covers. I will say that. Uh, I hope you had a nice Christmas. I, I hope you got fun things. Did you? Did you get fun things? Were Were any of you disappointed? And did Did you look at your loved one and say like, "Do you know me at all? What is this? I don't want this. Do you know me at all? How could you get this for me? Do you have no idea who I am?" You claim to love me, and this is what you get me. This is the gift you got me. So, uh, I don't know if I told you guys this, but uh, young Sammy, Schmushy, Schmooly, Sammy Red, Sammy the Red, the kitten, the new guy in the house, is uh, turning out to be kind of a dum-dum. Simple Sammy. He no longer has the dramatic nightly names. It's going to be Simple Sammy, Smushy, or Stupid Sam. He's just dumb. And, you know, honestly, Buster is a, somewhat of a genius. Part of me thinks that when I'm sleeping, Buster walks upright around the house. But Sammy's just, like, I've got to watch Sam because he's dumb. Like, I, I, I've got, he did something the other day, man. I can't even explain it. I can't, I mean, I, I'll try. But uh, it was one of those moments, I'm never going to forget it. You know, he... All right, so I have a staircase that goes up to the second floor of the house. Now, it goes along a wall on the right, right? So there's a banister. And then up top, there's like a landing. And when you go left, there's more of the railing. The banister kind of continues on a sharp right, you know, over a drop. Because it's uh, two two pieces of stairs. There's a, a few stairs, and then you turn, and you go up another stair. So there's two pieces of stairs. So there's that gap where it just drops down to the floor below and there's a railing there and I was on the phone and I was standing outside my bedroom which is right in front of this railing and fucking dumb shit Sam just leaps up onto the railing which is curved and thin and he's walking along the railing and I'm like oh god oh god because the drop has got to be like 20 feet he's going to fucking hurt himself he's going to break something but I didn't want to freak him out and I just had to stand there still and hope, hope he got down quickly, and then he slipped. He slipped, and he grabbed hold like they do, like the hang in there, baby, posters, but it's, he's dangling over the drop, and I was just, without thinking, I just fucking grabbed him and threw him behind me. 
and broke his leg. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I just pulled him off and I threw him down. Not hard, but it's like, what the fuck? God damn it. And now I just keep thinking he's going to do it again. He just slipped right in front of me. And he almost went down. Like it was like it was seconds between me having this broken cat, permanently damaged probably, maybe dying. It's it's a drop, man. Jarring. I thought, well, if, if it goes out like that, I'm going to have to write a song about him, about seeing him in heaven again. Terrible joke. <laughs> but I pulled him off. I pulled him off and he's okay. And now I'm just worried he's going to do it again while I'm sleeping and I'm going to wake up to him going, Ow! and I'm just like going to see him laying there. I can't take it. But I think they register when they fuck up like that. I hope. Wow. Also had a weird dream. Uh, another dream with uh, Lynn. It, it, she wasn't in it though. It was me and I was in a town that had two stories. The town did. And like I went into this like jewelry tchotchke sort of store and I almost walked behind the counter and there was some ladies there. They're like, you can't go behind the counter. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was going to. That I, I kind of, it seemed like it was behind the counter, but I didn't know. And I needed to get some kind of brass tchotchkes, I think, for my niece or something. And then I walked out of there and I had a choice between going upstairs to a rotisserie chicken restaurant where it seemed like a lot of like, you know, hipster people were going upstairs, maybe some gay dudes up to the rotisserie place. But I didn't want rotisserie. So I went into the restaurant downstairs, which was sort of like a upscale kind of diner restaurant like a new york style diner that doesn't look like a diner it looks a little better than a diner but it's basically a diner and i thought well i can get you know just salmon here and just sit by myself and have some salmon then i I take my phone out and i'm like maybe it's time i reach out to lynn i think it's been long enough i'm just gonna text her i miss you and see if she gets back to me and then i woke up all sad and weird like 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 we were just apart because we weren't talking to each other but I was just sort of like, I think it's time. I think it. I think it's time to text Lynn. Yeah, I miss you. It's you know, it's been okay lately. And you know, it was funny at the comedy store last night. Uh, you know, I'm so I'm so mean to Paulie sometimes. I just can't help. <laughs> I just I always bust his balls because he's Paulie. But he got upset with me, so I had to apologize. But uh, I was in the main room dressing room hanging out with the. Bobby Lee, because he smokes in the back bathroom sometimes, because uh, he needs to. You just some people need to do things, and you got to let them do it. So I'm back there with Bobby and uh, uh, Whitney Cummings comes in, and Esther Pavitsky's around, and Fahim's there, and we're just like talking, having some laughs. I mean, you know, it's just an amazing thing sometimes. Kit was there because like Kit doesn't know this world, and it's like I don't live a normal life. I hang around with some of the funniest people in the world. And, and they're all naturally charismatic and conversational and, and they're just, uh, you know, talented people. And it was so funny because we're all talking and we're like getting into it. And Bobby's like, are we really friends? Are we all really friends? And I'm like, dude, dude, we're a community. Yes, we're friends. You know, and then I'm thinking like, like I know like a lot of people, if I needed, if I needed help or, you know, I needed to reach out to somebody, but I could call Bobby. I could call Whitney. I could even call Fahim. I don't know if he would know what to do with me. I could call Esther. I call Dean. I could call a lot of people in that world. You know, I but I don't need to call them. <laughs> That's the thing. We hang out at the store, have a few laughs, get caught up. 
And that's enough, right? But I think in your heart, if you know, if you had to call somebody because you needed help and they're on your list, I think that you can put them in the friend column. Am I right? I'm right. Does everybody get have enough COVID tests? That's the funniest fucking thing, man. It's not really funny, but I have a, I have a few tests because a fan of mine came into uh, a batch of tests. He had a, he had he bought more than he needed, you know, months ago, and he just you know I said I I needed some, and he sent me a bunch, and now like in my mind it's like that's my test guy. I got a guy, but he doesn't have any more, and I don't want to run out because I got if I'm going to go work, I think I should know. Maybe we'll you know, start to get them. Maybe that'll be made available to us. But I just think it's funny. It's like, hey, you got a guy for tests? You got a guy? You got a test guy? Can you call your guy, see if he can get me some tests? You know where we can get tests on the street? Anybody? Huh? I got a guy. I got a test guy. That's where we're at. You got a test guy? Better get a test guy. All right. So I talked to Ida Rodriguez. And uh, her new special, Ida Rodriguez, Fighting Words, is now streaming on HBO Max. So a little New York in the house. You can feel it. You can hear it. But she's been out here a long time. She's been a lot of places. But she just, uh, she feels New York to me. And she recorded a special in the Bronx. But uh, I hope you're all okay. All right? Just just drink a lot of fluids. All right, this is me talking to... Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grade or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Ida. I think I'm going out next year, but who knows what's going to happen with the tour. You supposed to go on tour? Yeah. I'm supposed to go. And what's going? I haven't heard nothing. I just heard that Canada's half house now already. Yeah. That's what I heard today. So I went to Vancouver in July. Yeah. No, it was August, I think, the first weekend of August. Yeah. I was in um, a part of Vancouver where 70% of the people were vaccinated. Nice. That's pretty good. Really vax-heavy place. What what venue? Uh, House of Comedy. Was it good? Yeah. I yeah. had fun. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I, love it. I love it up there. I, I feel like uh, we're all going to have to live up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we better figure out which country we can go to. Yeah, no. It feels like... Um, I mean, uh, all of it exists everywhere, right? Sure, no, yeah, So no matter where we go, we're going to see. But they just seem to be a little bit more concerned about their health care there than... Well, there's that, and there's also, you know, the uh, the, uh, impending fascism that's Mm. a a problem. All upon us, yeah. Yeah. So you do... How long... Where are you from originally? New York? 
Well, you... Miami is where I grew up. In um, Miami? Yeah. I grew up in Miami, Florida. But That's I That's exciting. Li- it, mm, <laughs> it's Florida. <laughs> I know. My mother's there. But like I, I've had to uh, grown to appreciate it. Whether I like it or not is another issue. But it's certainly interesting. Fair. Fair. Right? Yeah, it is an interesting place. And growing up there for someone like me... Um, and, you know, it's funny because I don't like to talk about Miami negatively because Miami is the, the city that raised me. Yeah. My mother lives there and I love she's still there. Miami. She, yeah. she won't leave. My siblings are there. They uh-huh. love Miami. Um, I just felt like I didn't belong there. Yeah. Like, terrible place to do comedy for me. Absolutely. For everybody. Unless, it's worse. Unless. Unless what? Oh, unless you're, you're running a rally. Yeah. <laughs> you're running for office. <laughs> right. No, I just uh, I, I just got the feeling. After performing, I performed in Hollywood once, and I performed uh, at some Miami festival. It just seemed like it's the last thing anyone wants to do down there. Yeah, you know, it's a the thing is that it's so fragmented, yeah. it's so broken up culturally. Right. There are cultures upon cultures, like, right? Even Layers. the white people, like different cultures, yeah. of white people, right? And, you got all those French Canadians and Germans yeah. down there every summer or Absolutely. every winter. They're there, and yeah. a lot of uh, Russians are on the beach. They own property on the beach. <laughs> yeah, and so people don't. They think that this is this like. This this like party, like everybody's yeah. this, but this is just so, you know, that people come there and they don't want to assimilate because yeah. so they just recreate where they're from right, there, which right. is cool because a bunch of different pods of different. Sure. You can go to another country down the street. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from Little Havana to Little Haiti. Yeah. And uh, it can just be complicated if you want to if you want to do something that combines people. And right. People right. Together. And it's not music. It's tricky. Yes. Music can do it. Yes, usually. always. Why do you think that only mu- that music can and comedy can't? Because comedy, you got to listen to someone talk, and you got to listen to someone's point of view, and mm-hmm. you have to process it. You know, music, you just you know move. Music's yeah. magic. Comedy's sort of some other thing. But it's still <laughs> people's point of view. I guess yeah. so, but but it, you know, it's not that taxing. It's like yeah. I don't like this music. I don't like this song. I can dance to this song. I don't love it, but I can still dance to it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. different. You know, like, mm-hmm. and I, I think that uh, you know, comedy requires attention. Mm-hmm. Music doesn't really. Yeah, you just kind of go with it. It's interesting, like to watch the last couple of years where you will see Kid Rock. Yeah. And all these artists who have made their political stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah but he was always a bore. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That guy was shitty to begin with. He's a shitty musician, and now he's just a shitty person. <laughs> I like it here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are we supposed to do? Kid Rock has politics now. Oh, I'll put that under the who cares column. <laughs> Jesus, man. I don't, you know, I, and I'm relatively political, but so all the whole childhood was in Miami? So, no, I lived in New York. Um, you seem New York. The specials. Mom. Shot in the Bronx, right? Yeah. I, that's where my mom, my grandmother kidnapped me from, from my mom. I was living in- So you were kidnapped twice? Yeah. My mom took me from my dad and my grandmother took me from my mom. <laughs> they took me a couple of times. And so, yeah, I feel I feel very New York. I remember being a kid and telling people that I was from New York. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after so many years, they're like, yeah, you're not from New York anymore. But yeah. I um I do feel like a a sense of home in New York. Yeah, you seem New York to me. Yeah, that's I spent a lot of years there. Comedy for me in New York is it. I love yeah. doing stand up. That's there. where you started. No, I started here. Really? And then I I was like I have to I have to go to New York and I have to make it there and I have to learn how to punch. Yes, and okay. and you know like uh it's just very different because. I, I respect New York comedy. Like, um, I work at the Cellar. I work at the Stand. I work at some of the other clubs. 
But um, here, it feels like everybody is just waiting to get a shot to start them. Yeah, does it still? I don't know. Well, I, now it's COVID is the grand equalizer. Yeah, so that's for sure. You know. Yeah, yeah. No one's doing nothing for a while. No. What a nice break that was. Yes. No, the competition's <laughs> over. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to resent anybody. No one can do anything. Okay, I'm going to relax. <laughs> I, <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. exactly how I felt. Yeah, I was like, maybe I don't need to do it anymore. Oh, no. I did. I felt that. I thought, it, but it was funny because the next thought I had was like, maybe I'm all better. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I've I've resolved what I needed to resolve. Yeah, we had but, a break. Yeah, but some people. Uh, but right when they started again, within a week, I was like, "Fuck it, time yeah. to go." If that guy's doing it, I know. <laughs> you saw that's so honest. I love that you said that because I think we have to give ourselves grace and be able to say those things because it's really how we feel, and it's not even a, it's not our fault. You mean we're selfish, competitive people? Comics? No, Come on. but if you look at it though, this yeah. it's by design. Like this industry makes us all feel like we're all fighting for one spot, and it just it really, yeah. I don't know if I pay attention to the industry much, but I do pay attention to like. Um, like, it's starting to go away a little bit, just mm-hmm. the idea that, like, you know, am I still relevant? Does it matter what I have to say? You know, how much of it is in my head and mm-hmm. how much of it isn't? You know, am I, you know, am I doing enough new stuff? But like you said, sort of in, in some of the stuff I saw you talking about in the special, you know, at some point, it's just who you are and it's how you work shit out. Yeah. So, you know, that really becomes what it's about. You know, after the COVID, I was like, do I even have another hour in me? And then I just leaned into it put together a new like hour and 15 mm-hmm. to do the New York Comedy Festival. I don't know where it came from, but it came. Yeah. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's and, right. <laughs> you know, and I never I never went that long without doing it, you know, uh, since I started. Mm-hmm. I've never gone more than two weeks, three weeks since, you know, Same. 35 years, whatever the hell. Because, yeah, well, you have that, there's sort of this warrior spirit you get put in, gets put into you in New York, especially. I mean, that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. That work ethic, you yeah, know, there. Because I came up in the time where you'd run around and try and do four or five spots. Facts. I did. I remember one weekend I did twenty eight spots from <laughs> like a Thursday to a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And then I come back here. <laughs> Got one in the week. Yeah, and then I'm like on stage, just like, ah, all right, guys. Let's I know. Go. Yeah, then, yeah. Everybody else is like, so I saw this cat on YouTube, oh, and yeah. I'm like, you're jammed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, with fucking New York energy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I know that work ethic, and I still sort of, I try to get on, you know, at least, you know, five, six times a week out here if I can. Mm-hmm. I just go, you know, but I mean, I don't, not everybody does that. Now, I don't know if they're wrong. Right. And I don't, I don't really like the people that are sort of like, yeah, it's weird, you know, I, I thought I had to do that, and then I took like a month or two off, I got back on stage, it was great. No, no. problem. I'm like, Bleh. Yeah, that doesn't, I, so last week, I was on stage Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah. Friday, I had two shows. And I, I was like, oh, because I'm, I'm building my new hour. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is, this feels right. But then, you know, you go on on your phone and then you see 8,700 people uh, have COVID. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, like, oh, shit. So then, but, and then the problem is, is I don't know if you experienced this because I, I toured during COVID. Yeah, I did too. The people get mad at you because you get you leave right after the show. You're not doing meet and greets. You're not no. selling merch. And some people were like, Really? Oh, oh yeah, and I was like, I'm not going out there. No, like, who I the don't fuck care. are those people? I, I was, I was asking. I would, I would require vax proof or yeah. test proof at all my shows. I'm Good. not going to put up with that shit. Most of my fans, you know, they're they're grown ups, right? So, so 
They're not pushing back on that. Yeah. But I think no one, I didn't get any real flack. I think most people understood. Sometimes I drift into the room, like when there's maybe 20 people there, uh-huh. just they get lucky. Right. And come say hi. hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I didn't do that. I, don't know. I didn't. I, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not trying to get sick. And no. I'm not trying to get anybody else sick either. Because, right. you know, I, I know someone who got sick and brought it home and mom and grandma passed away oh my god and so he has to live with that and i just i don't want that on me either so no like, man Wait, now where where's that guy he's in alabama oh well geez that's a terrible story mm-hmm. 27 so years old he he survived and he also got really sick and went to the hospital really yeah he went to the hospital and then mom and grandma passed away this is early days covid yeah, yeah. first wave yeah it was first wave mm. so Let's talk about the um, this process of you uh, coming to terms with yourself and you know dealing with where you come from. You, so you were kidnapped twice. I didn't I didn't hear this the the, the second time in the in the special because you do like it's like mostly stand up and then there's about a quarter of it that's documentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I enjoyed it. Good Thank special. You. Thank you. But uh, I didn't hear that. Like I didn't know your grandmother kidnapped you too. Is that in there? No, that's in the <laughs> that's in the special before that. That's on the half hour that I did on Netflix. Oh, I, that- did, I did the joke about it, which was the first and last time I did that joke. Like I worked it out up until yeah. the special, and then I never did it. Again Why? I never realized how painful it was for me to talk about. I never talked about it. And you know, when you get kidnapped by family members, people like brush it off like it's nothing. Like yeah. like oh, you got kidnapped by who and then when you say yeah. by a family member they're like ah like that's nothing but it was very traumatic of course because you know they just think they don't weigh the reasons mm-hmm. someone's got a reason for doing it yeah and it ain't you <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> right yeah she, my grandmother took me from my mother I didn't see my mother for like a year and it was very hard for me I wanted to be with my mom but my mom was in the at the moment in a relationship with a man who was wanted for murder um, and he was like on the FBI's most wanted huh. list. So your mom's not not great at picking men. She was young. She was really young. <laughs> oh, yeah, everyone makes that young mistake where yeah. you date the murderer. <laughs> she was young and she didn't know. And then she kind of fell in love and then got swept into this whole thing. Oh, really? And then, yeah. Pretty exciting. It, for her. It, and you know me, I was like, I want to be with my mom. Like, yeah. I'd rather be on the run with my mom than in a stable place with my grandma. Oh, she went on the run with the guy? Yeah, that was. we were in New York. And so my grandmother had two options. She could call the police and then my mom would probably get arrested for being an accessory yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Or she could stalk my mom until she saw a weakness and then got me and and hope that that was an incentive to bring my mother to make my mother come home. You could end up child services too, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. In another state even. Yeah. No, in New York is not a good place to be, wow. to go to child services. <laughs> so let's go back. So you you were born in the Dominican Republic? I was not. I don't know how that's, why that's been put out there. I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm just assuming from the, I didn't read it. Oh, no, no. Because a lot of people, have, a lot of people ask they, me so that. they see the special. And they so put that, in a bio. I was, I went there. I'm what those people call an anchor baby because my father was uh, an undocumented Dominican man. In Boston? Yeah. Then what was he doing there? Uh, he's a musician. Oh. Yeah. And musician. So he was there and uh, he wanted to build a life in Boston, met my mother. Yeah. And then he got deported. And so we went to the oh, Dominican so Republic. So that's how that went? Mm-hmm. Your mom was just living in Boston? 
Yeah, we my family went there from Puerto Rico. My so that was the first stop, not New York, huh? No, Connecticut was the first Connecticut. stop. Connecticut? Yeah. Uh, Hartford. What, what were they thinking? Oh, uh, Hartford's a little, yeah, a little rough. There's the Puerto Ricans in there. And then uh, <laughs> they left... Con- there are Puerto Ricans everywhere. <laughs> they got a good good population of yeah. Puerto Ricans in Connecticut. But then they went to Boston, and then yeah. from Boston, they went to Miami. Boston? I, I lived in Boston for years. I don't... They... they uh, you know, for a place that's sort of supposed to be relatively blue or progressive they really hide their minorities pretty well yeah it's a pretty interesting place. it's uh, oh man they're the the sort of townies of new england are rough yeah they got they, their own brand of racism there, oh so. for sure they the they get they get a good rap because you know there's so many colleges so there's yeah. like a quarter of a million students there every year making it seem like it's a you know progressive place but uh-huh. you, you pull them out you're like wow so some some serious rural fishing community Irish bullshit going on around here. <laughs> I love that categorization of them. <laughs> I was there for years, and I you know I know a lot of you know pretty good guys, but it's rough, man. It's yeah. it's a uh, it's rough. It's very interesting about the American Irish versus the Irish Irish yeah. because like I spent so much so many years in Boston being afraid mm. of these tough Irish dudes. And they all have this disposition and this attitude. Not all of them, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm generalizing, you know, and I'm being a little bit uh, stereotyping, but that's what we're doing right now. But I went to Ireland. I see the same dudes that look the same, sweetest people in the world. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm on guard. I'm like, oh, here it comes. And they're like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, wow. Yeah. They, I always get a lot of messages from people from Ireland saying, yeah. come do stand up here. You should. You've never yeah. been there? No. Yeah. They, uh, you know, it's a they're, it's great country. I love that mm-hmm. place. I'm a Jew. I don't even know why I'm so attracted to it i love it i, I want to live there <laughs> it looks beautiful it's so beautiful yeah. so do you remember the dominican republic you how old were you when you got deported um when he got deported i was born that's when i was born so i was so there he, was, he wasn't even there when you were born no and so i got sent there i went there with my mom right after you got born yeah and then she I, was american citizen yeah my mom was uh-huh. born, my mom was born in puerto rico but we went oh, and right. i came back and i came back when i was like maybe four three so or four. what 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 precipitated that you know why did your mom run off uh because it was uh there were a lot of issues with my father's family with my mother a lot of colorism issues around Um, puerto rican yeah she's puerto rican they were dominican there was you know there was just they didn't really like my mom that much so we were sleeping outside when my father would do gigs what yeah it was and my mom was really young she was a teenager they didn't really um it was just a lot of conflict as I met my new siblings that, or not new, but the siblings that I met recently, they said that the, that family was a very problematic family. How many, how many, I know I saw a lot of those siblings that you met when you went down there, just, what was that, a couple of years ago? That was June. In June? Yeah. So, like, are they all from different mothers? Uh, not all of them, but there are different mothers amongst us. So yes. there's, there's at least three mothers. Yes, so absolutely. the old man was, you know. <laughs> musician attractive yeah 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 you know yeah, yeah still to this day i mean i remember talking to him and he was dating a someone that was like in their 30s yeah and, you know uh-huh and i didn't know anything about like i know look i you know i grew up the way i grew up you know what i mean just a middle class jew mm-hmm. uh but i don't i didn't realize there was so much i don't know if you'd even call it infighting in the you know latino spectrum mm-hmm. uh but there is mm-hmm. and i didn't know anything about until i watched your, your show about the dominican puerto rican problem oh you know what it's been it's all the get great gifts of colonization uh <laughs> the you know it exists and uh, uh 
Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Well, what is I, the what is the basis of the Dominican problem with Puerto Ricans or vice versa? Uh, it's all rooted in colorism and racism and ignorance. It's all part of the you know, divide and conquer. But do they see... There's a there's this air that people think about Puerto Ricans because yeah. Puerto Ricans are citizens. Yeah. So yeah. that is coveted amongst a lot of people in Latin America because they all want to come here to the dream place yeah. where they can ach- achieve great things because, you know, we have this exceptionalism bullshit that people yeah. think America is this place. Yeah. And so they, they have these uh, Latinos who aspire to that but if you go throughout latin america you will find that amongst many other countries and it's all rooted in you know foolishness it's like who has the better food who has the better music who's lighter who looks more white that seems to be a big deal that the the sort of spectrum of brownness yeah it's a very it's all it's it's so interesting to watch because i've always been conscious of it Mm. even when i was a kid because uh, my siblings and i look very different yeah and it just it's just very interesting to explore where, you know, there are black people all over Latin America. You yeah. never get to see when you think of Argentina, you think of these Italian looking white people. Yeah. They got their black people, you know, yeah. Peru has their black also Asian and indigenous sure. people. So I kinda wanted to talk about it a little bit because that is that um you know I, I've been in development for a TV show for the last two years, and I think that it's, it's just so radioactive, very complicated that people don't even want to touch it. because Which part? The, the Latin um, Yeah, the whole because the Latin it, issue? Yeah, because people have this idea when they're like, how do we attract the Latino market? Hmm. And you said it better than, than most. Like when you just said the Latino spectrum, yeah. there's no market. There's yeah. a spectrum yeah. because there's a Caribbean market, a South American sure. market, Central. And so I think that it's just... Whenever somebody allows someone like myself, that that's why I did the documentary. I wanted to shed light yeah. on some of those things. I think that that's when you'll be able to get a television show that people that will resonate with Latinos or Latinx, Latine, whatever you want to yeah. call it. But I just think that the the idea that you everybody wants to see a show about a white person stealing a brown person's taco shop yeah. is the the ideal it's like we've we've we're we're past that at this well point. I, well yeah and i think that the the sort of um corporatization of of mexican entertainment yes absolutely has really kind of is the one yeah. right so there's no other model that's right so you know you get you know that that whole world of of because it's, it's been dug in for a long mm-hmm. time so american latinos have to deal with this uh well i don't remember what the big network is but you know mexican entertainment mm-hmm it's valid. They're the biggest group here. Sure. But even they don't want to see themselves like that. Like if you even because look at the shows, how oh, many the ridiculous should, soap operas and the yeah. comedies. That, yeah. yeah. And look at the shows the that are on the air now. Like how many Latino shows do you know that are on the air on on streamers or even like, I don't know. you know, streamers. are there any? I mean, HBO Max has uh, is creating programming for these other markets, but you don't see them anywhere, especially when they do when it's Hispanic Heritage Month and yeah. they put up Spaniard shows saying here. <laughs> and it's like you, it's so um, it's such a blow to the, the, the communities because we never get to see a reflection of ourselves. And for with, me with the mixture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the last person I could think of that was in comedy that was like me and had some level of success to that was more mainstream was Freddie Prince. We don't get to see ourselves. And that's why I, I decided to cut 
the stand up a little bit and yeah. use a portion of that for yeah well I, well I thought that was interesting too is that you know that there's no in, in sort of indigenous representation yes like even with Mexicans you know there's there's a class problem with you know the ones that see themselves as Spanish yeah versus the ones that see themselves as as Mexican yeah no no absolutely and it, that that was one of the jokes is like I've had to hear over and over again my whole life people telling me about their pure Castilian blood. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good joke. And, right. But I'm just sitting here like, what does that mean? And what does that matter in the big scheme of things? How has that how's that working out for you? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's just a foundational block of, of racist thought. Yes. And it's self hating sometimes because if you feel that the best parts of you mm. are that that you identify with your colonizer, it speaks volumes to how you feel about yourself because the reality of it is is the reason you have Castilian blood is because Spaniards colonized your people. Right. So for you to walk around just pointing that out as opposed to the great indigenous people that you come from or the great African people that you come from or Asian people is just interesting. That is interesting. It says something about you that well, that you believe in that mission. Yeah. You know, you're, you're an oppressor. Yeah. You do it to yourself and you uh, do it to other people. Huh. And so. Yeah. You know, for me, I really wanted to talk about it because I've gotten so much feedback. Like some people were like, Ida, you don't want to do this because you don't want to get pigeonholed in the whole Latino thing. You kind of do. But that's who I am. Yeah. I'm, I cannot be other than I am. But the funny thing is that I have gotten so many messages from white American people saying, I'm so glad you showed this because I never heard of this. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Yeah, I never saw this. Yeah. This is a very interesting thing to watch. Thank you for shedding light. And I also got white people that were like, I'm half British and half Irish, and I was ashamed of my Irish blood because mm. they made me feel like that was less than. Yeah. So it was just very fascinating, even with Eastern Europeans. Yeah. So people were like, I can identify with that. So. I oh, the it, mix. Yeah. Oh, you, you got something, a war inside you. Yes. And that, interesting. that's a universal thing. That's I not think just, so. You know? Well, that was, well, that, you know, I talk a lot about uh, that, that Sterling Harjo show, The Reservation Dogs, mm -hmm. about the uh, American, you know, the indigenous people. Mm -hmm. It's a great show. It is. And, and it's a show that I think is probably, you know, I'm 57, I'm, well, what am I, 58, and I think it's the most groundbreaking show of my lifetime because... He gives representation to a group of people that none of us knew anything about. That's right. Like zero. Yeah. And they have a different you know, way of communicating, a different spirituality, a different timings comedically and humanly. And the, well, the reason I bring it up is because when I talked to him recently, he's got people representing indigenous people all around North America chiming in to the writing process. Yeah. So there's something to be said about that. I, I imagine if that process could work there, that there's something about Latino people that like you could probably find a collective point of view yeah. as as sort of a, a, a theme yeah. and then deal with whatever differences they have within. Well, you know, the, the thing, uh, like the show that I'm writing and the shows that I've been writing are yeah. like shows that are aspirational because yeah. people that are here that are, you know, second generation, they want to see themselves as progressive and upwardly mobile. They mm. want to identify with success. Yeah, yeah. Because the trauma of being constantly reminded of all the horrible things that have happened to our people is just... It, nobody wants to watch that, especially people who whose parents work their asses off so that they can go to college, get an education, mm -hmm. get a job and, and move up class wise. They don't want to see that. They want to see themselves in lifestyles and they want to see shows about themselves 
like Insecure, like different shows. Mm. And, and sure, there's there's specificity to some of them where mm. you can get an insight to these people, but they don't want to see themselves as victims anymore. And and honestly, anytime you do a show where the white man is, is the devil, yeah. you automatically are the victim, right? right. And so we don't want to see ourselves as victims. We want to see television shows about the great things and the, and the things that make us... Sure. Instead of the devil, just make him difficult and awful. All the time. And it's just, uh, you know, reality is re- reality. We know history, but it's time to evolve and show people in a light where... That's why I, in the Dominican Republic, I refuse to show ch- uh, children begging for money. Yeah. When you see a lot of um, footage of the DR. Right. It's always little kids running, asking for money. Yeah, you know? and who are, and who who is anyone to judge that, given the streets of Los Angeles now? Yes. Or anywhere else in this country? Yes. So when you left the first time, you, when you were four, that was just your mother saying, you know, fuck this. Yeah, she took me to Miami. I went. I went to Miami with my my yeah. bigger family, my grandmother, the Puerto Ricans, the Puerto Ricans, and they raised us. My mom and me. My grandmother finished raising her daughter. I know. I like me. all the talk in the special about grandmothers and like you know, in terms of how you know the uh, the matriarchy of of uh, Latino families mm-hmm. kind of works. It's like most of the conversation. It's funny in in the in your act, and it seems like in your life, you know, the men of different. Degrees Degrees of badness come and go. <laughs> but you know what's funny is yeah. that um, those have just been the villains in my life, but yeah. not the way I feel about men in general. But you know, I, I was saying that I made this observation and I've and and it's nothing groundbreaking, but I watch young babies. Like I'll go to nurseries, I have a niece, and yeah. I, I watch the behaviors, and then I go to the old folks' home and I watch the behaviors. Yeah. And it's kind of like the same. Like people are not worried. <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle where we get fucked up, right? Because yeah. when people get older, you go like where my grandmother was or my mm. great grandfather was, there was no the black people and what they all playing cards. They yeah, all yeah. You know, yeah. they all making having sex. I didn't know they were having sex oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, and then you look at the children and it's the same. But somewhere in the middle, we get caught up with all this bullshit. And so grandmothers, um, I've traveled all over the world. Mm. I've gone to Asia. I went to Israel. Just for comedy or in general? For comedy before. and to travel. Oh, yeah. You know, I went to Israel to learn. I wanted to learn about the conflict from my, from myself, I didn't want to, Palestinian conflict. Yeah, yeah, Palestinian and Israeli conflict, yeah. and I went to Palestine. I went to Israel, and it, grandmothers everywhere you go, like everybody loves their grandmother. Yeah. I love Bubby. I love yeah. that term, yeah. you know, in America. That, um, and I was just like, that's one thing that everybody treasures is their grandmother. Yeah. So how do we find, uh, you know, something? That brings us together. Yeah, exactly. Grandma. Yeah. I, and I think that's true. And I think that, you know, and I think what you're saying is also interesting about, you know, that as even me, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 58 and like a lot of shit that used to be important is going away. Yeah, I'm in my 40s and I feel the same way. But I also raised two children that are adults now. I have no kids, so I I don't have that perspective. Yeah, so for me, I feel like I'm 75 because, (laughs) you know, raising Children years. Yeah, raising kids, especially in this time, has been very stressful. But yeah, I've never been, thanks to my grandmother, I've never really valued some of the things. I learned so much from her because I I thought she was my mother until I got a little older. How old? Um, I think it was about 11 or 12. So wait, so your mother split? 
No, my mom was there, but... I've heard this kind of thing before a couple of times. But I, I call my grandmother mommy. But what did you think? Your mother was your sister? Yeah. Uh, not. A, I knew she was my mother, oh, but oh, okay. it was. It yeah, just yeah, yeah. felt like yeah, yeah. my grandmother was the matriarch of the whole thing. And the other thing I like about uh, Latino culture in general, or just you know the way culture used to be, is that... You know, you got the old people in the house. Yes. <laughs> you know, like uh, now it just seems like once they get to a point where they're a, tr- a problem, they get them out of the house. Yeah. They and put them, put them in a kennel. Yeah, <laughs> they do. That's, that was, uh, and you know, it's really, um, my grandmother died at home. She yeah. died of cancer. And she died Did you, like, did you have the, the hospital bed in the house and the whole thing? Yeah, everything was there. And yeah, she it's... just passed away at home. I wasn't there. I was in California. Um, How old was she? Uh, she was 70, I think she was like 77. That's not that old for you know, No, she, but the cancer just was really... Yeah, terrible. But she, uh, I was on my way to the improv to do a spot when I got the call that my mm. grandmother passed yeah. away. And uh, yeah, she was And you home. did the spot? I didn't. Oh, good. I couldn't. Oh, good. Yeah, no. Because like, that's, that's a fucked up comic thing where you're like, oh my God, I still got to do it. Yeah, I couldn't. Oh. There's no way. I was, yeah, yeah. I was just going to make the audience miserable. Yeah, yeah. I, I could I, I'll thing. do that anyways. But no. I... <laughs> Every once in a while. Do we all do? <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna have to pay this time. You're gonna have to pay for my problems. But uh well I'm sorry that uh, that happened. How long ago was that? That was in twenty thirteen. It feels like yesterday. So when did you leave Miami? So you're in Miami, you grew up and you did you have any direct siblings? Yeah, I, I have my siblings that I grew up with, my mother's children. I have two brothers and a sister. That's my not from your dad. Though. My quad. No, nah, but Later. we're, yeah, we, we don't do that though. We don't say half brother, half sister. No, no, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all very close. We talk every day um, yeah. and we're very, very close. I left home. Were um, you the oldest? I am. I'm, yeah. I'm the oldest of all of them. Um, yeah. I had an older brother that died, uh, my mom's, my mom's son. Yeah. But I, um, I actually, you know, I left Miami and I went to t- Tallahassee to school to this uh, Florida State Univers- yeah 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 and I know. then I left oof Tallahassee yeah uh, southern Georgia yes and um, I left there and I moved to San Diego because my ex was uh, got drafted by the the San Diego Chargers where'd you meet the football player I met him at school. I met him at... Oh, so I, 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 in Florida State. Yeah, so I used to go to dual enrollment when I was there when, yeah. when I was in high school I would go up and um, yeah, we had these programs that yeah. we would go. And I met him, and he became my boyfriend. We moved to San Diego. He became my husband. He's the father of my two children. They look good, those kids. Thank you. They're great human beings. They seem like it. That's what I'm most proud of. Like you know, people are in this city. A lot of oh, you know, my daughter's working with Sorkin, and my kid. My children are amazing human beings, and they're they're pretty. They're doing pretty well in life in terms of what they want to do, but they're just really good people. How's the relationship with the ex and, and their relationship with both of you good? They're on the mend. Okay. And, and I, I'm, I mean, I, I forgave him a while ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I had to. My grandmother always used to tell me forgiveness is for you. Yeah, and also for the kids, I guess, right? Yeah, I never, I never really was uh, into bashing him, or I just kept going. I was like, I don't have time for this. And you're gonna have to deal with him your whole life, yeah, because of the kids, right? Right. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. And you know, for me, it's like I, uh, I outgrew him in terms. Did he? Was he a big ball player? Uh, no, he wasn't. He never got his shot like he should have. He was a very good player. Yeah. Um. You know, unfortunately, his own issues kind of mm. got in the way. Mm. And also, you know, football is so political and so much. It's also brutal. Yeah. Beats you up. So you're in San Diego. When do you start doing, when do you, like, what, 
what drives you to comedy? Well, I left San Diego when I left him. I went back home to Miami. When was this? This was in 1990. Uh, when did I leave there? 99, I uh-huh. think it was. I went back to... Um, what I, were you doing out? You were just being a mother? Or were you no, working? No, I still had a job. I was. I never quit my job. I worked at Bank of America as a teller. Oh, yeah. And I also... In mo- San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. And I was modeling. I had an agent here. Yeah. And I would come back and forth. I never... I quit. I never stopped working. I saved my money. No, um, I just stopped to have my babies. Yeah. And then I just kept going. Because I was like, I don't, I don't trust... Uh-huh. This anybody, yeah, I don't trust anybody, <laughs> but I don't trust football. And I yeah, was yeah. like, right, you know, one day you'll see someone be big, a big star, and the next yeah. day you'll see them, you know, on TV. They're doing a story about how they're homeless. So I was <laughs> like, I can't trust <laughs> that, this. That's, that's where you went right to that. And right. I had trauma from that. So from I moved, the kidnapping, yeah, from all of it. I went from poverty and drugs and all of the stuff that I grew up around. So I went back to Miami, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to California. I can't. I'm gonna. I, when I he followed me back to Sandy back to Miami from San Diego. Oh, so it was a healthy relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so I just left. I was he hates California, so I moved to L.A. Yeah, and I just started anew. So he stayed in Miami. He stayed in Miami for a while, and then he moved to Tampa, and then he moved to Georgia and Texas. He's been moving around all over the place, and I just came out here. So where was when? Okay, so when you left uh, the Dominican Republic and you're with your mother, so your mother was in and out of trouble. Is that the the deal? Um, Where was the poverty and drugs? Not her. Yeah. Um, just uh, I was. I lived with my whole family. You know. Okay, so, so I lived with my my okay. mother. Someone's gonna have poverty yeah. and drugs. Somewhere. Yeah. It was we were poor. But yeah. There were you know uncles that were on drugs. My sure. uncle who raised me was on drugs. And yeah. So I was around a lot of stuff that right. I probably should not have seen yeah. as a kid. So. Sure. So you decided to come back to California without a real plan, or what was the plan? The pl- well, I wrote this script, and it made it to like the Sundance Writers Lab oh, final yeah. cut. Who was and your I, mentor over there? Uh, it was and, Kenneth. I uh-huh. think his name was Kenneth. Yeah. And so I came back. I moved out here. Yeah. And uh, it didn't make it. But I, I was, you know, you go a couple of rounds. Oh, so you submit it, and then they decide whether you're going to be in the program. Right, you go, oh, you go okay. through a few rounds. Got it. And so yeah. I made it up until like the final round, and yeah. then I didn't make it. But it just, it was the thing that pushed me to move here. And it was about your family. Ah, uh, no, it was about what I learned. It was about uh, the world of football that I. I oh, had because I journal, and so I I was looking through my journals, and I was like, "This is a story right here," and I wrote it about being married to the fo- to the game. Yeah, it was something like that. It uh-huh. was, a, and then I came out, and um, and I just never left. I stayed, and I figured it out. There was ups and downs, but I I uh, I was like, I want to be here. I want to pursue this career. And in writing initially, writing and acting. I came. I was. I'm tall, so I was like. They don't write roles for. I don't see myself in the breakdown, so I was yeah. like, I'm gonna write myself this role. Right. Um, and then I just, I just started. Uh, I signed. I got signed to an agency when I first moved here, mm. and um, I started going out and booking stuff as an actor. And then anything good? Um, uh, I would good, but not uh, popular. Mm. You know, like I did some indie films. I did yeah. some projects, and then uh, comedy came around a few years after that. So you you just kind of, and how old were you when you started doing comedy? Uh, thirty. Yeah. Yeah. And it just came around. What do you mean? It just came around. So I um, so the uh, Chris Spencer was like. I see him all the time. So we did this. We have a friend who is. I love Chris. I love him too. He's the reason I do stand. Nice guy. 
Well, he told me that I was a stand-up. We were we had a friend. <laughs> he, he gave you the curse. Yeah, he was like, we were doing this brunch, yeah. and um, we were roasting our friend. And my friend was like, I have these uh, professional comedians that are going to roast me, so I need somebody who's going to roast me with some compassion. Yeah. And so when I did the roast, yeah, he said to me, he said, "Oh, you're a stand-up." Chris said that. Yeah. Yeah. He's and I've known I knew Chris before. He was like, "Oh, you're you're naturally a stand-up." He said. <laughs> Try this, these open mics out. Tell me how you feel. Yeah. And so I went to the Westwood Brewing Company. I started. Sure. Was I, that Neil Brennan's room? It, it, no, at that time it was uh, Adam Hunter's. Oh, I remember that guy. Yeah. Sure. And then I just never stopped. Adam Hunter was in, he's, I started in New York, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, blonde guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where you started, Westwood. And Westwood ne- Brewing. And I never stopped. It's so funny. There was a, By that time, you know, the, there's a whole world of those mics that I didn't know about because I came up earlier. Mm-hmm. So you just kept going and you started, you know, what were some of the first breaks? Because I know you ended up on one of the big reality shows, but were, were, you were just working stuff out? Yeah, I was working stuff out. I, I actually booked uh, Kevin Hart's One Mic Stand, was, which was a stand-up show. I did horribly. Um, I learned a very valuable lesson of, of it can, you know, like if someone told me Jay Leno said it's never, it's never too late, but it's never too late, but it can be too soon. And yeah. I, it, I was, it was too soon. Thank you. Thankfully, it didn't air. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you got lucky. Because huh? it has so many um, sets, and there was like issues with the, the network. So mine didn't air. Um, what was it, like five minutes? Yeah, it was five minutes of pure terror. <laughs> really? <laughs> bad. So it wasn't the material, it was your disposition? Yeah, that... I wasn't ready for a TV taping. I hadn't been... Too nervous? Uh, yeah, I wasn't in the game long enough. Like, I was uncomfortable with what I had on. I was, uh, yeah, you know, I didn't know. Um, I still hadn't fully learned how to construct the set. I was just thinking yeah, that Yeah, figuring could... out those five minutes, man. Those are hard. It, five minutes, so hard because... It's worse, because you got, you got language, too. Yeah. You know, and you got to figure out how... You got to take everything out of context. Yes. Line it up. Yeah, man. Wow. It was a tough set. And so what, I think what really uh, worked for me was I did some USO tours and I got to go on the road. With who? Um, I went to Tess Drake was the woman who was doing these tours. And I went to um, Japan. I went to Korea. And I did like the first tour was like a two week tour. And it was just back to back shows. Every what were we doing? 10, 15? Yeah, I was doing 10. Mm. And um, who were the other comics? So April Macy was on the uh-huh. show, Christina Pazitsky. Oh, yeah. So it was Christina. She's great. April. Nice people. And uh, who else was on those shows? Uh, a comedian out of Chicago named Kelly Howard. It was a bunch of different women. Uh-huh. I've done, I did it a few years. And it was a- all women tour? Yeah. And oh, it- how'd that go over? Good? Well, for the military, yeah. You know, yeah. they're they're laughing and then trying to hit on you after, so it's a combo. <laughs> but it was a good exercise for me. I also hosted a room in L.A. for two years, and I think, and then I hosted a room in San Diego for two years. And I Where? think that uh, so in New, in San Diego we did uh, the House of Comedy, which was. Uh, where they had a room and then there was this promoter who would create these venues I did yeah. one in La Jolla uh-huh. but it was just it really helped me because I was just hosting's good because you keep you get to go back up yeah and you get to work out new material yeah. every week yeah and I think that really helped me yeah so when did you uh, kind of start working so I started working um, I was hosting this room called uh, Cinespace in Hollywood yeah and Russell Peters came. I remember Cinespace. I know that venue, that venue, right? Yeah, it's a beautiful venue. Yeah, was. yeah, yeah. And Russell Peters saw me, and, yeah. and he said, hey, where you been? I think you're funny. He was like, you want to do some dates? And he took me out on some dates with him. 
Wow, big I, dates. Yeah, it was he was doing clubs because he was getting ready for um, a, a special, but it was yeah. really helpful. Yeah, need to go because it was a really big audience, and they're, they're packed in, mm-hmm. and it's a real audience. It is. So you can now you can finally know whether or not your jokes work that's right that's right and uh it was and it's so funny because i remember him telling me oh you're such a rookie he was like he's like i listened to your set he said you are so preoccupied with the laugh that you forgot to uh to pay attention to the fact that they were listening to you and he's Mm. like and a lot of people wish they could get an audience to be that quiet and listen Uh while you take them on the ride he's like but one day you'll understand what i'm talking about Oh, so you just you're just we're thinking about getting the laugh yes i was so such i remember that yeah i was i was a novice yeah but i I like you it is important and there's some people that do that all throughout their life yeah, you know, you know, don't quite figure out their own time zone. You know, yeah. how to take the time because they, and I had never heard like people telling me like you should get a laugh within the first eight seconds oh, yeah. on stage. Those and people I, laugh every thirty seconds. Yeah, I, I can't do that. That's not my. I can't style. think that way. But then the weird thing is though, like if you like as time goes on, if you really put a clock to it, you probably are. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, I think like so. you can't think of it that way, but yeah. eventually you learn your own rhythm, and yeah. you're probably getting plenty of laughs. Yeah, you no. know what I mean. Yeah, but yeah, I always it, it always annoyed me. It's like or people or not realizing that if you tell a, a bigger story, that you, it's not that you're not telling jokes. There's the jokes in it. Yeah, you know these yeah. people that get hung up on jokes. Yeah, I'm a storyteller. Like, story. Yeah, but you know that's that just means you got jokes in the story. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it's just the way you you think. So when do you start? So you start working professionally with Russell? Yeah, I started working with Russell, and then um, I booked uh, Last Comic Standing. So wait, now how's your family feel about this? How's your mother feel about it? My mom's not into comedy for me. She thinks that's a masculine thing to do. Oh really? Yeah. So it's, a, it's she didn't really understand it either. Like she would tell my brother, "Who does she think she is, J Lo?" And then my brother was like, "No, she's a comedian." Like oh really? She just didn't get it. The uh, the uh, yeah. To her, everything was about am I aspiring to be famous, mm. and not that I that comedy is like an actual craft that some people sure. love and sure, and not the easiest way to get famous. No, <laughs> probably the hardest. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started doing it though. I was like, I love it. I like it. It was very uh, cathartic for me, and at the time, I never thought it would be anything real when I first started doing it because I had a job, and I was working my way out of homelessness because I ended up homeless. Here. Where here? Here really. Yeah, and then I started... Uh, when was that? That was right before I started doing stand-up. Um, there was some marital issues that happened, financial issues that ended up falling hard on me, and I ended up losing everything. And then I had to, you know, I was living in a Best Western and going to these motels with my kids, and then oh I ended up God. moving into one of my friends had just bought a condo, and she yeah. was like, take that room and get yourself together. And then go go do what you need to do. It's going to take you a little bit to get back on your feet. You don't just go from being homeless and back into. And it took me a couple of years, but I got I got myself together. Wow. And then um, I was working um, at a financial firm and I was working full time and I was just doing comedy like on the side. Yeah. You know, just and then it started making money for me, too. And then it started making more money than the... And also gave you a voice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, to work some of this stuff out. Absolutely. And you had the kids all to yourself? All um, to myself. And, you know, as I was having a conversation with my daughter yes, just yesterday. And we were talking about, like, what, she's like, why do you... Because I, I, I feel like I owe her something, both mm. of them. Like, yeah. they're, And they're like, you don't owe us anything. You took very good care of us. 
that you know my it was like life is beautiful like my kids didn't know what was happening because i was so shielding them from all the drama yeah but i always tell her i I just feel like you deserve so much because we went through so much and she was like i feel like i had a great life (laughs) and she was like best western was fun she's like i love hotels now because of that (laughs) and uh, you know it's just all got a pool yeah (laughs) the way you see it yeah yeah when you're a kid yeah so you got through all that, and then, uh, so now, Last Comic Standing, is that what the one you did? I did Last Comic Standing. What season? Uh, 13, 14, I think it was. 13 or 14. And we were already making money as a comic by that time? Yeah, but I wasn't headlining like I wanted to. I only had, like, a few headliner spots, and I was still opening for, I opened for Russell, I opened for Corey Holcomb, I opened for Faison Love. I was opening for different people. And yeah, in big rooms, like doing 1520s? Yeah, that kind of thing to their hour. Yeah, and then um, but no features. Were you middling anywhere? Yeah, I was middling. Oh, you were. I was middling, and so I wanted to. You know, my I have to move. Like I can't just stay in one spot. So I was like, I want a headline. Yeah, and um, you know, I was told like by different people not to do last comic standing. People who I respect. Yeah, they said that's a reality show. But then I was like. I'm a Puerto Rican Dominican woman in stand up. Like the demand for me, nope, you guys are not asking me to open for you. It's very easy for you to tell me I need this exposure. So I made a plan that I was yeah. only gonna make it to the top ten. That was my goal. And then yeah. I was like, so I can go out and headline. Yeah. And that worked? Absolutely. And when did you find out that you were Dominican? Oh, I found out that I was Dominican when I was younger. Like I wasn't oh. I just talked about it in the set cuz I had never talked about it. But it, it it was it was uh I didn't grow up believing I was Dominican. It it happens maybe like in my teens. Oh, right, right. Where I had already been. But you just you had not seen your father. No. That was the the big uh, reveal. Right. I didn't see my father and I also did not Is your mom still around? Yeah. She's in Miami. Miami. Do you get along with her? Yeah, okay. I love my mom. My mom is a hot mess, but she's my favorite person on the planet. I adore my, I worship my mother. It's <laughs> Good, really bad. Yeah. I go to therapy every week to work yeah. this out because of just because you like your mother. I go to therapy because I love my mother. Well, because I've had you know even therapists are like you. My, some of the therapists are like you don't have to you don't have to be you know the the things you've gone through. And I'm like eh, my, I know my mother's story. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. So. When did you, like I read somewhere, because I worked with Paul Mooney in Sacramento too, mm-hmm. at the Punchline. Oh, did you? That's... Yeah. I mean, I had a, I, I featured for him, I don't remember how long ago it was, I just know that like he was traveling with some dude who had one of his kids. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and you know, yeah, it's like that, and there was this sort of like, why don't you take the kid to the mall? I'm like, I'm not the fucking babysitter. Yeah, he would okay. t- ask me to go sell t-shirts for him. Yeah. Or he had his wife. And I don't know if she she has some form of dementia. And he was like, make sure like, you know how he used to talk. He's like, yo, make sure this bitch don't go nowhere because she will she will take off. Yeah. And I was so like, there was always some. Yeah. The wife wasn't there, but there was some guy he used to travel mm-hmm. with. And it was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. I would go to Walmart and buy T-shirts for him. And then he would just sign white T-shirts and sell them for twenty dollars. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, did you uh, work with him a lot? No, I worked with him a few times. It wasn't a lot. But you you found inspiration with uh, with Mooney. I mean, if I'm honest, yeah. I love Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney was very kind to me, but I I felt this bitterness from him that I felt consumed him, and I always. You know, people have said to me, like, you remind me of Paul Mooney yeah. sometimes. Oh, really? So I went through this 
period where I was like, I want to be able to tell what I want to say, but I don't want to feel bitter and angry. Like I want to about your uh, 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 about uh, anything. I just didn't want to take that on stage because um, and yeah, I have my angry moments. I'm sure. a human being. Yeah. But I just didn't want But that was his point of view. That was the direct engine of what he was doing. Mm hmm. But like what I've said before on this show, though, when I, I middled for him, I realized exactly what it is that he does. Is that, you know, you go to Sacramento, that's a mostly white people yeah. situation. And I and what I always said, what I realized working with him is that if you don't think you're racist, he'll find it in you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And do you see people get up and walk that's right. out? After two hours. Yeah. Eventually they're like, you know, what, you know, when's this guy going to shut up? Yeah. So that was the miracle of it is that mm -hmm. you could sit there like you could, and you just watch people. It's like, I don't got to take any more of this shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I was always in awe of that. And I thought, wow, like, uh, he's not afraid to tell these people. And they, and there was a predominantly white audience. Yeah. That was right. what, and I was like, "Yo, these white people love to get beat up. Like they come here and they take it and they take it, and it was just funny." Well, yeah, I think Chappelle kind of resurrected him, and I, I believe I worked with him before that. Like it was, you know, he's just still Paul Mooney, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, you know, there's this idea that he never got his due. I don't know, I don't know. You know what I mean? He's a difficult man, but mm -hmm. uh, but you know, a lot of dudes because of his kind of revolutionary spirit got a lot of courage from him. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he's a hero in the black community because yeah. he was a voice that said, expressed things that a lot of people would never be able to say. In very plain language. Yeah. He didn't, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't trying to to be diplomatic. No. Or or he wasn't trying to be anything other than what he was. And I actually loved Paul Mooney. He yeah. was very good to me. And um, I, I do still respect him for all the stuff that he did that, got you know that some of us will never do because he had an opportunity to really say and i think um it was just interesting to watch it was really an interesting dynamic oh yeah he had he, there no no one was like that guy no he yeah. was you know but it was just interesting to watch because i was like even still he was very loving towards me like off stage he yeah. would you know he was just like I, I want you to always be yourself i think you're funny but in in you know in the middle of it it would be like you you know you a pretty little bitch you know make sure that you know you always be true and i was just like okay but it was it was just it was just i'm glad that i experienced it cuz from paul mooney to um russell peters there's a world in between that you yeah, know and yeah. so i i got ex to experience this comedic spectrum in terms of the people that i worked with that yeah. that made me feel okay and finding my own place on the spectrum instead of trying to be somebody I was yeah yeah you definitely succeeded at that it was funny like I remember I wonder what happened Paul had a, a set of twins that used to do comedy yeah the, the, the Darryl, Mooney twins Daryl and uh, <laughs> what happened to those guys they're still you know they're, they're humorists is what they call themselves but they're out they're you know they do financial um, workshops oh corporate stuff yeah they've been doing a lot of different things and one wrote a book like they oh yeah yeah they're still um they're still out there. I remember when I was a doorman at the comedy store, I think Paul Mooney had a juice bar like mm -hmm. years ago. And he used to drive around. Mitzi had this old beat up Cadillac that had the comedy store logo on it. Mm -hmm. He used to drive that around. It's, it's weird. Weird history. Mm -hmm. Weird history. So like I, one thing I was wondering before I talked to you was like, why did you did you ever think about the one person show approach? Yeah, I've actually I did one. I did a oh, one, you did? I did a one woman show in 2007. And um, it's based on that script that I wrote. The and football I, one? 
Yeah, uh-huh. and I played uh, I played three different gold diggers. Oh, uh, oh yeah. And, How'd that go? And my mom, it was good. It was it was good. It needed more work. Um, I just because of stand up, I yeah. was I I had like two weeks that I did a two week run, and then I had to go back to work because I needed to make money instead of spend it. Hmm. But um, I would I that's one of the things that I want to do in the new year. I've talked to a director, Oz Scott, who did a lot of he directed a lot of um, one person. Yeah, because it seemed like it felt to me that like in listening to you talk now and also uh you know in the documentary part mm-hmm. of the special that that you're dealing with you know ideas and feelings and experiences that you know you're kind of you know rendering down to you know the stand up mm-hmm. but they you know there there is some part of me that thinks they could be served differently mm-hmm. if you had uh less if you didn't feel like you had to get the laugh yeah absolutely no the the actor in me definitely um you know, those are the pieces that you use to show people that you are an actor, a writer, and a performer. But also, it is very cathartic for me because I do work out my stuff on stage. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have to get permission from my family when I talk about certain things that involve oh, yeah? them. But Like what? Um, you know, legal things. Well, you know, you can get sued. So like just, you know, even with my kids, like when I make jokes about them, I clear, oh, yeah. I clear it with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like my son went to Campbell Hall and I'm doing jokes at the improv and his teachers in the audience. And then he goes back to school the next day. And he's like, Omar. Yeah. Your mom said. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't, yeah. You got to got to give him the heads up. Yeah. I've been doing I've been doing stuff about my dad uh, and my parents my whole life. And it's not easy stuff. No. But uh, but uh, they always get a kick out of it. My dad loves it when I bust his balls. It's fun. Sometimes they do. My mom stood up and bowed at one of my shows because she was like, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. this, this, this funny is because of me. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. But you know, I, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know. There's something about it. I love comedy since I was a little kid. I used to watch Johnny Carson, yeah. and I was like, I want to do that. Like yeah. everybody's having fun there. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Seems like it. Yeah. And listen. then you get into comedy, and you realize like some of these people aren't having fun. No, <laughs> it's all a ruse. <laughs> but at the I did. Um, I would watch Richard Pryor. Like I would sneak because oh, yeah. my uncle was would listen to Richard Pryor. Yeah, that's he would the listen. Shit. Yeah. And then I was like, I want to oh, yeah. do that. That's it. That's the thing. So, are you still? Are you? Did you like at the end of the thing? The special, like, I, I mean, it's kind of wild that you kept that you had those cameras going when you first see your father after what 35 years? Mm-hmm. How long? How many years? I would say 40. Wow, yeah, but you had that camera going and you could feel it's weird, right? It was strange, you know, and that was the actual first time that I saw him. Yeah, I could feel that, but I wanted to have it. Like, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted that to be mine for forever to have that moment out. Yeah, and um, and then I decided to share it because I was like. For several reasons, what was happening with comedy, I was like, I want people to understand how we mine our jokes. Some of us, right? For me, that was my process. Yeah. You see this experience and it ends up in the stand-up. Yeah. This is, this is a process for me. Um, but I also wanted to other people who have a missing parent to see and say, I'll be all right. You know, like... I just wanted people to, to un, from my perspective, because you see these shows and they they meet the father and then and they're like happily ever after. And I right. just wanted to be real, normalized with that. Really, sure, yeah, and also like you know to get some. Uh, I don't know if it's closure, but it seems like a lot of people in those situations, even with breakups or whatever, they blame themselves until the, you you have that moment where you're like, I had nothing to do with this. Absolutely, <laughs> and for me, it was like I, there was this moment went right before. 
um, when I first saw him in my head and I felt in my heart like, oh, this worthiness stuff that I deal with is directly connected to this. Sure. And I felt it in that moment. The abandonment stuff. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, like this is. And that's why I was looking so weird because I was in my head about my own process. Expectations, right? Yeah. Realizing that, well, you know, that shit's behind me. He's, yeah. He can't show up in any way for me. No. Right? And, 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 you know, and people were like, some people were like, he was crying and you sat there. You were not emotional at all. And I was like, yeah. I cried the whole, you Life. know, 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, he <laughs> yeah, can yeah. cry now. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I've been crying. He's crying because he fucked up. Exactly. <laughs> and I didn't want to, I didn't want to um, excuse him from that. I think it was important. I didn't want to exploit him and yeah. I didn't want to disparage him or shit on him, but I did want him to be accountable in that moment sure. because, you know, a lot of things did happen and he had he been present, maybe some of those things would not have happened. And I don't know, but I just, I just felt that he should feel accountable in that moment. I've been, yeah. I've been carrying this hurt and I wanted to share it with other people so that other people that were going through that can yeah. say, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And that, I'm sure it worked. Yeah. And are you still in touch with him? Yeah. He okay. texted me yesterday and, you know, it was odd for him because he thought we were just going to jump in and I just been taking my time because I don't know him. Like I know who you are, but I don't yeah. know you. Right. And so for me, it's just. Oh, you mean after that he thought like, okay, we're good. Yeah, like, like yeah. no, I mean, nah, I don't even know you like that. Like, I'm getting to know you. Right, right. And how's that going? Uh, it, you know, it, it's you don't have to like him. I know that's what what my therapist said, but you know, I don't dislike him. I just feel like there are some issues with responsibility and accountability mm. after meeting my siblings and yeah. knowing, you know, you know, I met them and I'm like. So he like, was a decent father to them? No, no, I'm sitting there thinking like, I don't know who had it worse. Like oh. seeing him around the corner oh, and right. knowing he ain't shit or yeah. you and you wondering about him. And so, I, you know, I just I was sitting there thinking like. Well, at least they knew. Like, I bet you when you were coming up and it, you were sort of like, you know, you, you probably idealized. Yes. Him. Absolutely. You can't idealize it if he's around the corner. Yeah. No, that's the truth. And right. that's what I did. And so that was me coming down and saying, get on the ground and let's just assess this for what it really is. Yeah. And let's just proceed with that information instead yeah, of yeah. trying to create this ideal. Like my father now, he's calls me princess. Like mm-hmm. I've seen people do that. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, yeah, yeah. you're a grown person. Yeah, I don't know him. And I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good that it's it's evolving, mm-hmm. and that that you know that's a, a positive thing. And I'll tell you, sometimes he'll send me a text and I don't respond, and yeah. sometimes I do, and I got to be in the mood. And sometimes yeah. I'll talk to him, and sometimes I won't. I'm still figuring out how how I'm going to engage this because at this point, it's two adults that yeah. are you know, and at best we can be friends, and mm-hmm. we can still be whatever we're going to be for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. But I'm still not going to you know, foster this fake. Right. Do you feel like you got all the information you needed about what happened? I didn't get all of the information because of course you get each side of the story. Yeah. But what I did get was evidence and the results of his being where he was and looking in, into his children there yeah. and their lives. Yeah. And I, and I was able to make an assessment on my own about sure. Who he's probably been mm. to these people, and that was enough for me to know. And also being a grown person who's seen men mm-hmm. behave certain ways, yeah. in your own life. Yeah, I mean, when you sit there and you see these these sisters, the different mothers, yeah. and you and you hear the different experiences, yeah, you know, you 
you if you want to you want to pretend you don't see it because you want this man to be magic you yeah. can but for me i was like oh okay i'm picking up on what you're putting down yeah exactly. like, thanks for the signals and the people <laughs> yeah, dropping yeah. off hints for me uh-huh good good and how about uh, have you gotten much what's the reaction been to the bridging the uh, dominican puerto rican gap it's been good because a lot of people were saying those are antiquated ways and those are things that people were doing back in the day. And now there's so many people who are mixed because there's so many Dominicans in Puerto Rico and so many Puerto Ricans in the Dominican mm. Republic. It's been positive because it opened up a conversation. Oh, good. You know, not just with us, but with other Latinos that yeah. are like, yeah, we, why are we doing that? And, then, yeah. you know. Great. Well, I wish you luck. Thank you. Great work. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, too. This is one I wanted to do. Oh, good. I'm glad we did it. There you go, people. Her special, Ida Rodriguez, Fighting Words, is streaming on HBO Max. If you want to check on the tour dates, as far as I know, I'm doing them all. I haven't heard differently. I think we might have to add a night in Vancouver because they're going half capacity. Uh, but uh, all the other ones, uh, so far, so good, starting at the end of January. And we might be adding some. So go to WTFPod.com slash tour to see if I'm coming to your neighborhood. Please be careful this week. It's a quiet but crazy week. Actually, just stay home. All right? Don't spread it around. Just relax. You don't have to, but, you know, watch some movies. You have any left you have to see? All right. Here's some guitar that sounds like the guitar I play. Monkey, La Fonda.